bring healing. We ask for healings to, to occur just during worship. Um, and so, you know, we prayed for Carrie and, and Andrew came up and shared. But I just want you to know God is able to heal. Alright? That, that has never changed. It never will. He is the God who heals. And uh, we can reach in to heaven and receive healing even here in this earth. And we believe that God cares. And so if there's any physical need that you have in your body, you know, it doesn't take a show. You don't have to go up in front of a big stadium, have somebody touch you and fall down to get healed. Alright? It's God who does it and He's present. He's active. And so uh, we just encourage you to, to grab hold of it. You do have to believe it. You have to you have to accept it. You have to accept him as Lord of your of your life and Lord over your body, and just proclaim that uh, truth to to be active in your body. All right. Well, we want to continue in our series of community and citizenship. Been talking the last few weeks about uh, what this means, how to uh, how to live in community, and how to express kingdom values. The kingdom of God values, the kingdom of Christ values in our community, which is very fragmented and divisive. You know, it just seems as though in, in many ways, even though there's been a lot of movement toward, um, you know, the, the explosion in communication technology has brought the world together in some ways, but we haven't seen a lessening of, of, of strife and contention and I mean, geez, just this week there was someone trying to blow up a building in New York City. Uh, you know, there's constant strife and there's still racial barriers and economic barriers and all these, all these things that fragment and divide our community. Yeah, as Christians, we're called to represent Jesus Christ who came to call all people from all nations, all tribes, all tongues into relationship with Heavenly Father. And that means in relationship with one another as sons and daughters to Him. And so, Jesus came to lead a revolution. Alright? And we have to understand this, that Christ came to lead a revolution. Not a political revolution. And in the past, and even in our days, some people try to get Jesus on their political bandwagon. Both in the United States, but throughout the world. Uh, there's people, there's, there's people that claim that Jesus is uh, calling them to do uh, horrible things. And certainly throughout history, the name of Jesus has been invoked to, to do uh, uh, gruesome acts of violence. All right, Jesus came to lead a revolution, it's true, but not a political. I think he's, we want to express, we want to influence the political realm, but He came to lead a moral revolution and a spiritual revolution. Now listen, the things of the Spirit are more real than the things of the world. Alright? You know, the things that are invisible remain, are eternal, but the things that are visible are temporary. In other words, what we see in this whole worldly order will disappear, but Christ's reign will last forever and ever. And we're representatives of that reign. So that's what I'm talking about and how we can bring, you know, Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And the whole message of that and the purpose of that is to bring kingdom values that exist now in heavenly places and, and, and influence the earth, our community, our society, our family now with that which is in heaven. So that's what this series is all about. I'm going to read a couple of passages. I'm going to start in John 18, 33 through 38 in the New King James. 
So this is Jesus as he appears before Pilate. He's already been arrested and, and tried and convicted by the, the priests, <clears throat> the high priest and the, and the Sanhedrin um, convicted him and, and then sent him to Pilate because Pilate was the Roman authority. Um, and so Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, who's Pilate, a Roman uh, uh, ruler, asking uh, Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, are you speaking for yourself about this? Man, I would, I would pay anything to hear the tone of voice. You know, throughout the Bible, don't you wish you had the audio version with Jesus speaking? <laughs> you know, here he is, wrongfully tried. How did he say that? You know, what did he con- communicate non-verbally? We don't know that, but here is Jesus. Are you speaking for yourself or did others tell you con- this concerning me? I believe that he was concerned for Pilate's soul. Because, yeah, are, are, you, are you asking this from your own heart? Or is this something you've just heard? Are you really curious to know whether this is true? And of course, <clears throat> Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Like, what does that have to do with me? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. Now, Jesus is, makes some statements and, and we, we, we hear Jesus talking about His kingdom. There's a few things we just want to pull out of this text to understand better the kingdom of God and what Jesus came to represent and what we are to represent in this world. And Jesus' main first point is, my kingdom is not of this world. All right? He's not coming to establish a political system of government in this realm, in this day. When Christ returns after the resurrection, there will be, the government will be on His shoulders, alright, as the, as the scriptures foretell. But it's not now that He's, uh, you know, and even the disciples after the resurrection, we, we see in, in the beginning of Acts, they're saying, are you now, are you going to establish the kingdom now? He's going, no, you still don't get it. Jesus is saying, I represent a kingdom that's not of this world. Because, and because of that, we don't fight using worldly weapons or worldly systems or worldly powers. Second Corinthians, Paul says the same thing in Second uh, Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. This is Paul writing to the church, communicating the same principles, um, to, to the church when he writes, He says, for though we walk in the flesh, in other words, we walk around in fleshly bodies, we're humans, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I love that passage because it really talks about what the church is to be about, what establishing the kingdom is about. It's not fighting with fleshly weapons and warfare, but it's about communicating, bringing every thought, every argument into the captivity of obedience to the person of Jesus Christ. Drawing all thoughts. Think about that for a second. How many thoughts do you think every day? You know? Hundreds? Thousands? I should have done a research. There's probably somebody that's researched this. Google it. There's thoughts constantly going through your mind. And think of all the people, 7 billion people on planet Earth. God's purpose is to bring all those thoughts captive into obedience to Christ. What does that mean? That means even our thought life is going to reflect the character and the nature of Jesus Christ. Alright? Even our thoughts will represent His kingdom on earth. And we're in the battle now. And maybe only, you know, a tenth of your thoughts are obedient to Christ. But as you submit to Him, the goal is, and your standard should be for your own self, every thought is brought into obedience. Because it's there you know, the t- obedience to Christ is not bondage. It's freedom. Alright? It's free to be who we are called to be, to be who He wants us to be in Him, to be all He created us and He wants us to be brought back into. It's being delivered from the bondage of the worldly system that manipulates our mind and, and causes us to think evil thoughts and corrupted thoughts or uh, accusatory thoughts. <clears throat> all of the things that Christ came to set us free. So we're agents... In the earth, we're to be active in establishing His kingdom. Uh, but we can't rely on worldly powers to implement that. And, and I'm not just talking about <clears throat> uh, guns. You know, There's other worldly powers. There's political worldly powers. And social worldly powers. And economic worldly powers. Uh, that all are uh, ways that people use to manipulate and control. And we have to understand that we are to influence those systems, but ultimately, the weapons of our warfare are spiritual in nature and not natural. Let's read from Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 25. We're going to read from the New Living Translation this part. This is Jesus, and this is something that happened in Jesus' life. It kind of brings out some of the same ideas. Uh, Luke 10, 25-36 in the New Living Translation says, One day an expert in religious law, stood up to test Jesus by asking, the te- uh, asking this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit an eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right! Jesus said. Do this and you'll live. In other words, you nailed it. You got it. Then it goes on. Scripture reveals his heart. It says, The man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, Just a minute, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him dead beside the road. 
By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed, uh, and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now, with the, uh, now, which of these three would you say, Jesus asks, was the neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? So, in response uh, to being questioned by a religious expert, and this, this we would call this person a lawyer, Jesus turned the question. You know, the guy was interrogating Christ, trying to trap Jesus into a theological debate. But Jesus quickly turned it around and, and turned the question back to the individual. Alright? What do you think the word of God said? What do you think would be right? You know? He turns it around. <clears throat> and remember, in Jewish culture, within the Jewish nation, there wasn't a s- separation between rig- religious law and civil law. Even under the Romans, they had to adhere to the civil Roman law, but in their own culture, they had their own religious legal system. And that's why they tried Jesus by the high priest. They brought him to the high priest in the Sanhedrin before they sent him to, uh, and that's where he was convicted, and then they sent him to the Roman governments. And so, <clears throat> what we have here is a debate about uh, the law, not only Moses' law, but how we should operate in, in, in legal relationships between individuals. And he's trying to trap them into this debate. Draw them into a, into a political, religious debate. And a man recites the great commandment. He actually gets it right. And Jesus affirms him, right, you got it. But like any good lawyer, he pulls out a technicality. Alright? He appeals to a technicality. He says, wait a minute. Let's just, let's figure this out. You know, he wanted to find, the Bible says he wanted to justify his actions. And so we know that his actions, he wasn't living by that standard. Alright? Jesus, in, in that short little interaction, was able to bring this man to the conviction of his own sin. Alright? Without any accusation. Because it says he tries to justify his actions. <clears throat> so who's my neighbor? How, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of actually loving God and loving others? And Jesus tells the story, and he intentionally uses one of the most provocative racial issues of that day. Right? The conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. I can't go into the whole history, but basically Jews hated Samaritans. They despised them. They, they, were, they, were, they not even were citizens. They were second-class humans. All right? And the Samaritans had no dealings whatsoever with Jews. There was a constant tension and uh, the culturally different, uh, economically different, religiously different. They were the outcast. <clears throat> and Jesus picks that person to be the good guy in the story intentionally. And then he picks the priest and the Levite, the temple assistant, who are supposed to represent the ultimate you know, obedience to God's Word and the law, the representative of God in, in the world. 
But they come by and see this man who's been eaten up and they walk around on the other side. They don't want to get involved. Alright? What I think is, you know, and then the Samaritan came along and, and sh- showed genuine concern and cared for him, took him to a hotel, paid uh, for his care, and we know that part of the story very well. <clears throat> what I think is interesting is that Jesus, you know, did not use this story to stir up the crowd to protest the lack of police on the road. Alright? He didn't use this, you know, to point to the failure of the government. Alright? To keep the roads safe. Or the need for a better criminal justice system. The boy, keep those bandits behind bars. Alright? Come on. He did he. He didn't use, he didn't say anything about that stuff. Alright? Where's the problem? Why are those people on the street? He didn't even address the bandits. The bandits weren't the bad guys in the story. Who were the bad guys? The priests and the Levites. You know why? Because he was talking to priests and Levites. He was talking to them about how they avoid fulfilling the law. And not just argue, uh, agreeing with them about how somebody else isn't avoiding, is avoiding the law. Okay, see the difference here? Oh, Jesus brought it to the person he was talking about. The people sitting right in front of them. He, 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 he used the conversation that they had intended to trap them into a political legal debate. And he used it to bring them to the awareness of their need for repentance. Okay, and their need to care for others and to live uh, according to the kingdom in their lives. And I think this is, this is Christ's example. This is the lifestyle. This is the representation of the lifestyle that we're to emulate. Okay? This is what it looks like to be a kingdom agent, active, influencing our community. Okay? This, this is how Jesus did it. So this must be how He wants Christians to do it. Both Jesus' example, but also the the example of the Samaritan that overlooked racial, economic, religious uh, barriers and didn't see a Jew that hated him hurt in the ditch and say, about time they get some of what they give us all the time. They deserved it. But rather, oh my goodness, there's an individual that's hurt. How can I help? Okay? We're not called to be like the religious experts. We're called to be like the Samaritan. And we're called to be like Christ. We're called to reach across that. You know, caring for the poor, caring for those in need, caring for victims is a primary concern in the kingdom of God. And in the election we're, we're in, and in every election, now, all of the candidates, they're basically begging for your vote. So they want to come across as caring for your need. Because they want your vote. And people vote based on what they want. <laughs> but we, we need, and it's okay to consider that. But you need to consider what is the kingdom value. And as I've been talking all along, it's not just the vote. The vote is one little opportunity that we have, and we need to take that opportunity. But we need to live this. That's how the community is transformed. When we live this, when we care for those in need, 
that we could easily avoid by taking a different route home. Come on. Alright? When we don't close our eyes to those living in our community or in our, in our area or in our realm of influence that are disadvantaged or are victims, but we find a way to bridge the barrier and help. Okay? And this may mean voting differently, but it, it, it may mean not. It may mean actually going and getting involved or volunteering or uh, donating money or donating stuff all right? or spending time praying. There's lots of different ways. You need to figure out what, what will work in your life. How can you intentionally be like the Good Samaritan? And then when you're talking about political issues or when you're talking about religious issues, re- reflect Jesus' lifestyle. Don't just argue agendas. Say, what's the real issue at heart here? What are we really talking about? And try to respond spiritually to what's going on. <clears throat> and this is how a culture is transformed. All right? uh, I believe far more than a vote once or twice a year, although that's important. It's when we act and we live based on the great commandment. When we love God and when we love others. When we lead people into the kingdom of God. Uh, that's how uh, society we will be changed. Okay? Let's remember that ultimately government is only a small part of both the problem and the solution. You know, the government isn't the problem, but it's part of the problem. And the government isn't the solution, but it's part of the solution. Alright? Ultimately, as Christ's representatives, we're appealing to a different solution, and that's the kingdom of God. And this solution works in every culture, every political system, every, every nation. Okay, I'm gonna move on. You know, Psalm 146.3, uh, says, don't put your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. And Psalm 118, verse 9 says, it's better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in princes. So, and, and princes just represents governmental authorities. And so, yes, we should have politically informed decisions. And as you go to vote, you, you want to be informed, but ultimately we're not putting our trust in this political party or that political party. Ultimately, we're appealing to the influence of God to change our nation and to, and, to, and to create His culture in our community. The biggest point I want to talk, uh, make or hope to leave you with is that living in community and being a good citizen, community and citizenship requires taking responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. You know, that's not just something we tell our kids. Right? Or teenagers. You know, that's what you really pounded into the teenagers. As adults, we need to take the responsibility. It's real easy at some point to say, you know, I've been... Every stage of life, when you're, when you got little kids, you're trying to get your career off the ground, you're, you're too busy. And at a certain age in life, you know, it's like I've tried for a couple of decades. I'm tired. And it's easy to, to, to say I'm done. You know what? That's not being a part of a community. Part of a community is when there's need, we all work together to, to meet that need. As a church, as a family, as a city, as a nation, as a world. We're all part of these communities. And, and citizens 
not only of heaven, but we are still citizens here on earth. So we need to take responsibility. And that's the message that Jesus' story really communicated. Hey, take responsibility. And You know, the Samaritan took personal responsibility. Not just for himself, but for the wounded person. Not just personal responsibility. Alright? You know, the priests and the Levites were personally responsible. But Jesus wasn't talking about personal responsibility, was He? He was talking about community responsibility. Not just taking care of my own life, but realizing part of being in community and part of being a good citizen is taking care of this person's life, the needs that I can meet in that person. Both are important. Amen? Alright? Paul says it this way. In uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 11, it says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Wow. This is the kingdom described in a very precise way. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, let your thoughts be obedient to Christ in this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of men, He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, this was Christ's example. This is how we live as agents of Christ's kingdom is that we humble ourselves. We esteem others better than ourselves. Listen, saints, you need to find ways to demonstrate that day by day in your daily life. How can you meet the needs? And, and, and we do that within our family. We do that within the church. If we can't figure out how to do that within this community where we're all mostly the same, I mean, what a beautiful expression of community. We're all here in this room because we share a, 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 a value of, of belief in Christ. Or at least maybe you're here, you're exploring the idea. I don't know. Most of us are here because we have that same value. And so we care for one another. But the point of the Gospel is to take this community and our family values and live it outside the family so that people outside the family can be part of the family. All right? We represent Jesus Christ who died on the cross all right? humbling Himself to the point of death. And Paul says, just as God honored Christ's humility by lifting Him up and raising Him up, we can have the same confidence that when we live humbly and meet the needs of others, we will be taken care of. We will share in the resurrection glory of Jesus Christ because we're emulating Him. We're following Christ. Does that sound good? That's what it means to live in community. I hope that you you take those... uh, these ideas and prayerfully consider um, those who who are in need as you uh, go to vote in, the, in a few weeks, but every day throughout your life. Amen. Aaron's got some announcements.
Yeah.